Live from Cape Town, this is the Voice of the Cape. The Voice of the Cape. The Voice Assalamu of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Very good evening to you. This is VOC 91.3. I'm Khawa Sonaman. Welcome. Uh, I hope wherever you are, you find yourself in good health. Alhamdulillah, relaxing and having just some time out at this time of the day, inshallah. Right, uh, I'll be with you for the next hour, inshallah, myself. And joining me is uh, Sheikh Ibrahim West, a resident imam at the Yusufiyah Masjid in Weinberg. In this segment of question and answer forum. Assalamu alaikum to you, Sheikh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Sister Hawa, and to all our listeners of the Voice of the Cape. Okay, so we are taking your SMSs on 47913. We have rece- received uh, quite a few SMSs, so please note this is a backlog of SMSs that we will be dealing with with regards to the questions, inshallah. So we'll go through them and take your SMSs as well on 47913. Please note we take the SMSs as we come along. First one is Salam. If a person commits suicide, was it also their time to die? Shukran. Anonymous. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Wa salatu wa salamu ala Rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. This question I think is uh, linked to a question that we have dealt with before, the issue of the qada and qadar. Hmm. And if a person is murdered, whether that is also part of the qada and qadar of Allah Ta'ala. The question that we must ask ourselves here is that when this person took his life or her life and they committed suicide, Hmm. uh, did Allah Ta'ala know about it beforehand? And the answer is yes. Hmm. Uh, Did the act occur according to the knowledge which Allah had? And the answer is again yes. And this, in essence, is what the Qadha and Qadr is, that Allah Ta'ala's knowledge precedes everything. And Allah Ta'ala, uh, whatever happens, happens according to the knowledge of Allah. And we believe in that, that Allah knew beforehand that this person was going to take his life and this was going to be his end. And Allah decreed it as such, that that will be the way in which this person will depart from this world. Uh, but that in no means uh, indicates that Allah Ta'ala forced the person to do what he did or mm. what she did. We made it very clear the last time that the Qadha and the Qadr has got nothing to do with the fact that Allah has given you a choice mm. to either choose right or wrong in your life. And you will be given obviously your reward or punishment based on your choices that you make. And so this person has chosen a way to take his or her own life, which is not permissible, which is frowned upon, which is punishable by Allah Ta'ala. So indeed, although Allah Ta'ala knew about it, Allah decreed it, uh, it was still the choice of the person who actually uh, did this. uh, And and according to his choice and according to that particular path that he has followed, uh, that will mean that obviously he will be accountable for the choice that he has made. Uh, I like to make this example. Sometimes uh, it's difficult for us to understand how exactly this is because uh, we must understand the qada and qadr of Allah Ta'ala is one of those things that we cannot fully comprehend Hmm. because it is beyond the normal things that we are used to. It is the domain of Allah Ta'ala. Allah alone knows exactly how it works. But we can make some sort of... uh, Similarities, draw some similarities just to bring it closer to to, to the mind. Uh, and that is one of the examples that we can give here is that if a school teacher at the beginning of the year, for example, is able to look at his students and is able to sort of uh, give a very quick uh, analysis as to what kind of students is in his class, he most probably at the beginning of the year will know already who's going to make it and who's not going to make it. Mm judging on their behavior, the way they they do homework or not, the way they pay attention or not, and all those things. So his knowledge precedes what is actually going to happen. Okay, So at the end of the year, if it happens exactly the way that he predicted, 
Okay, does that mean that he forced them to fail if they mm. failed? He obviously didn't force anything upon them. It was just based on his prediction of the fact that looking at their behavior, this is where they were going to end up. Mm. Okay. Now, obviously, we always say Allah's example is much more greater. I mean, we can't make examples and compare it directly with Allah Ta'ala. But the fact is, it brings the idea somewhat closer to our minds. The fact that Allah knows something beforehand is not necessarily uh, a force onto the person or it does not necessarily coerce the person to go in that direction, especially if we know that Allah Ta'ala has obviously given him the choice to choose either the one way or the other mm-hmm. okay so we must be very clear about this issue the qada and qadr of allah ta'ala is one thing our choices that we make is another thing and we will definitely be uh, rewarded and punished accordingly and yes nothing escapes the qada and qadr of allah nothing is beyond the knowledge of allah like we said before if anything should happen in this world that allah didn't know about then what kind of god is is this mm-hmm. that does not know what is happening it makes uh, you know that type of God would be a God that is ignorant, hmm. and Allah is far from being ignorant. Allah knows exactly what is, what will be, and what was in the past. Allah knows everything. There's one verse in the Quran where Allah Taala wants to explain to you the detail of Allah's knowledge, which in any case we cannot comprehend. But just to give us an idea, Allah says, "Wa ma illa ya'lamuha." There is not a leaf that falls from a tree except Allah knows about it. Now, obviously, a leaf of any tree, anywhere in the world, any in any garden, in any circumstance, whatever happens to that leaf, Allah knows where it falls and what the condition of that leaf is. So that is the vastness of Allah Ta'ala's knowledge, which we cannot obviously fully comprehend. So in a nutshell, we do believe everything is um, under the qadha and qadr of Allah. So if a person leaves this world, it is under the qadha and qadr of Allah. Although if the person did an act that was wrong and he made a certain choice, he will still be held responsible for the choice that he has made. Shukran so much, Sheikh. With that, let's just take our first ad break. Stay with us as we take your SMSs on 47913 on this question and answer forum. Shukran. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, the voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Very good afternoon to you. This is Question and Answer Forum. I'm Khawa Sanaman. We continue with the SMSs that we received. Assalamu alaikum. I have reverted to Islam. Is it allowed to make dua for my deceased non Muslim parents? Shukran. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. The scholars uh, seem to make a distinction between when the person who is non-Muslim is alive or when he has passed on. If the person is alive, then Imam al-Nawawi, rahimahullah, one of the great scholars in Islam, has mentioned in his book Al-Athkar that in a person's lifetime, it is permissible for you to make dua for him if he's a non-Muslim, especially if it is for guidance or for good health or for well-being in general. All those duas are permitted for a person who is alive. Uh, because there's nothing that stops from that. In fact, the Nabi Ali Salatu Wasalam, he made dua for certain people that were non-Muslim in their lifetimes, right? Uh, because we never know how a person may end up. We never know how a person may change. We never know what the condition of a person may become. So in his lifetime, uh, Imam Nawawi clearly states that it is permissible to make dua for such a person. 
However, if a person has passed on and he was non-Muslim, then we are restricted. We are not allowed, obviously, to make dua for his forgiveness and stuff like that, mm-hmm. because th- this is something which only Allah Taala knows. Of course, at the same time, we we, are, we don't say for sure that we know the person is here or there. We don't, uh, you know, give judgment to say that the person is in in the hell or he is in heaven, because this is uh, something in any case that we don't even know about ourselves. I mean, how can we still give judgment on someone else as far as this is concerned? Okay, so. We don't give those kind of judgment calls, but in terms of the dua, we are restricted. We cannot make dua for somebody that has passed on and ask Allah to forgive them, etc. Especially if we don't know what the condition is and how they have left this world. There is an ayah that was revealed, in fact, to the Prophet when he was making uh, istighfar, he was asking forgiveness for his own uncle, Abu Talib, as you know, who did not uh, embrace the faith, who did not want to accept because of the other members of his family, you know, sort of uh, brainwashing him right till the end. Um, or sort of putting pressure on him rather right till the end where he did not in fact uh, embrace the faith and the Prophet ﷺ continued actually to make uh, istighfar for him to ask forgiveness for him and so on until a verse was actually revealed where Allah Ta'ala says مَا كَانَ لِلنَّبِيِّ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَن يَسْتَغْفِرُوا لِلْمُشْرِكِينَ وَلَوْ كَانُوا أُلِي قُرْبًا that it is not befitting for the Prophet and those who believe to seek forgiveness for those people who have uh, shared partners with Allah even if they be of your own family members okay so we are not allowed we are restricted in that way but while they are alive we are able to make dua for their well-being for their health for their guidance for whatever mm-hmm. is good especially if it is our parents we do good to them in any case while they are alive and we show them kindness and love and hopefully that becomes a way in which we project what our deen stands for and what our faith dictates uh, for us to do Shukran, Sheikh. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. I'm married but not sleeping with my husband. We're more like friends as per agreement. But I love him, but he feels nothing towards me. He wants to apply for a fasakh. What am I to do as we sign an affidavit that uh, what is his um, and mine is mine? What is his is his and mine is mine before marriage? Okay, just starting with the end of the question first, I mean, in terms of your agreement, what is yours is yours and what is his is his, that's fine. If you have that agreement, no problem. Mm. I mean, nothing uh, stops you from uh, fulfilling that particular agreement. (coughs) The issue, however, here is with regards to uh, the first point that you made is that you sort of married to him. But you're not having any conjugal relations with him, no intimacy with him, right? And this is a sort of agreement that the two of you made, okay? Here we have to state categorically categorically that this kind of agreement is not feasible, it's not uh, doable. Because obviously you cannot make an agreement on something which uh, nullifies the core of what marriage is about. Okay, and the central and core of what marriage is about is this intimate relationship that must exist between husband and wife. Okay, and so uh, I mean, uh, it it wouldn't be then very difficult to understand why he wants you to get a fasakh, you know, or why he doesn't love you because maybe he's not fulfilling his needs. I mean, Mm. there's no if there is no uh, intimacy between spouses, then what what is there really in the marriage, you know, or or what can they share that is special or that 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 keeps them uh, afloat? So the point is that uh, you must first get rid of that agreement you know i don't know if it is maybe for medical reasons or for, for whatever other uh, other reasons may exist if it was just a plain agreement because you don't want to have children you just don't want to have that kind of relationship then that is not feasible within a marriage it is not feasible okay and that is why the scholars have even gone so far to say okay uh, some of the fuqaha they say that should two people get married let's say they get married and at the time of the contract, when they are actually concluding the contract of nikah, mm. 
they mention as part of the conditions attached to the contract of nikah that they will not sleep with each other. They will, they will not have intimacy with each other. Then in such a case, the act of nikah is null and void. Hmm. It's not an act of nikah, in other words. Okay? Simply because it is uh, actually going against the very essence of what marriage is about. You know, that intimate friendship and intimate relationship and so on, that must be there. And it's a natural thing uh, to fulfill the desire in that particular way, which is halal. So I, I would advise for you, first of all, to try and sort that out. And I think once you overcome that particular uh, hurdle, then maybe he will feel differently. You know, because you're saying you love him, but he doesn't love you. Because mm. maybe he's got nothing to, to hold on to, you know. There's nothing that attracts him other than uh, the fact that you are married on paper. You know, there's nothing else that attracts him. So you need to, to work on that, I think. And uh, I think if if things still don't work out, then obviously you need somebody then to speak to you, to guide you, sort of uh, how you can go forward in this. If it is a, a fasakh, then it means you will have to apply for a fasakh. And it will be a procedure. They will ask why and all those kinds of things. Um and obviously it can happen if there is grounds for it and if there is uh, a legal sort of uh, background for, for the situation, then nothing would disallow it. But I believe, I think, in this particular question, it is something that can be solved if you undo that agreement. In any case, that agreement that you made just to stay friends. Now, you may think, well, it's an agreement, we can't go against it. Okay. In such a case, since it is an agreement that actually goes against what nikah stands for, then you are not obliged to actually live up to that agreement. Mm. You are not obliged. It's the same like I can make another example. Let's say uh, the two spouses, they get married to each other, but the agreement is, let's say the agreement is that, um, you know, I will marry you, but the agreement is I will not give you a dowry and, and nafaka. I will not give you a dowry and I will not maintain you. That's a problematic issue because mm. uh, the very essence of nikah dictates for the husband to give a dowry and it dictates for him to give nafaka or to supply or su support the, the, the wife in whatever way is possible. So you cannot make those kinds of agreements that goes against the very essence of what nikah stands for or some of the principles which nikah tries to, to, to uphold. So in this case, is similar to that. I think you should undo that agreement and, and try to, 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 to live really as a husband and wife, should live with each other and have those special intimacy and intimate relationship, maybe that will sort out the feelings towards each other and hopefully a, a fasakh will not even be needed, mm. right? Because things will be much better if the relationship is able to, to, to progress from there onwards. <coughs> Shukran so much for that. The next question is, Assalamu alaikum. Uh, good and bad is from Allah. Death is at the appointed time is fixed. When a murder, is it right, with a murder, is it right in saying that a human's choice was made in taking a life again? A very same question. Yeah. I mean, I've, I think I've answered it already. I don't have to repeat it, but uh, I just in one line to summarize that death is appointed. The time is fixed. There's no, no one that can change that. There's no one that knows about that time except Allah. Right. He alone knows when that time will come. And even the manner in which the person will die, only Allah knows. No one else knows. And yes, although everything happens under the knowledge of Allah, we will definitely be accountable for the choices that we have made. So the murderer definitely. We, we don't say that he altered the knowledge of Allah or he altered the qada and qadr. No, he's not able to alter anything. Right? Everything was already predetermined. Allah knew beforehand this was going to happen. And it was going to happen like this. Mm. So uh, it was going to happen regardless. 
Okay, but the fact is that yes, a murderer will be held responsible for the choice that he has made. Definitely, that is something that he cannot he cannot use the qadr and qadr as an excuse, for example, for the action that he has committed. In fact, there's a nice, just a quick. I mean, say now, Omar, my person came and said, you know, uh, he was found drinking, and say now, Omar asked him, why are you drunk? He said, well, that was the qadr and the qadr of Allah. You know, he blamed the qadr and qadr for his actions. So said, now Umar said, well, your punishment is you must get 80 lashes, and that will also be the qadha and qadr of Allah. <laughs> that you must receive your punishment that is due to you. Mm. So you cannot, you cannot use the qadha and qadr as an excuse. Mm. And I think there are some people that do this. You know, they, they become uh, sort of uh, whatever, things don't go right in their life, or they just do, don't do what they're supposed to do, whatever. You ask him, why are they doing this? Ah, you know, what can I do is the qadha and qadr of Allah. Mm. One must never do that. One must never blame the qadha and qadr. Okay, the Qadha and Qadr will happen regardless. It will happen. But we must use our brains and our minds and our choices and our intellects which Allah has given us in order to live a life which pleases Allah and which is fulfilling both to ourselves and to our Creator. Shukran, Sheikh. And with that, let's pay the bills. And after this short break, stay with us. We'll come back with more of your questions, inshallah. My radio station, your radio station. Our radio station, the voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I'm Khawa Sonaman. Shukran so much if you've joining us over the lands and across the seas on vocfm.co.za. And remember, take us along wherever you go. Use your app, your uh, at least your, your link uh, via the internet on your phone, uh, whether it is the radio on your phone or link via uh, vocfm.co.za. Click on smartphone, Windows Media or BlackBerry and you can take us just about anywhere you're going right let's continue with the questions if i have uh, sheikh ibrahim was in studio with me answering your questions on the sms line 47913 a couple is married for 15 years the husband became muslim but he drinks wine for as long as they are married but the wife is not ready to give up because she says he is a good provider so we're looking at a muslim man married for 15 years drinking throughout that time sheikh yeah, it's, it's it's possibly a problem that that could exist with many reverts in, into Islam, mm. where they have these habits that they had when they were non-Muslim. So obviously, going into Islam, it's sometimes somewhat challenging for them to leave off these habits. Okay, um, uh, of course, the 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 reason that this woman is is giving is that she don't want to give up because she's a good provider. I don't think that should be the only criteria that is keeping you from you know uh, sort of uh, trying to solve the issue here. Okay, you should not give up. That is a, a right attitude that you have, but it should not be simply because he's a provider. That's why you're not giving up. Mm. No, it should be for the sake of uh, doing the right thing within your marriage. That is why you shouldn't give up, right? Because a person may be a good provider, but he may have the worst of character, for example. Mm. That does not make it okay. So the fact is that um, in this case, the person is maybe uh, uh, it's difficult for this person to get rid of this particular addiction of his and uh, the wife is willing still to try and so on. I think the major issue here for me would be that uh, this wife must not become comfortable and complacent with the idea that he's drinking. So there's nothing I can do. I must just leave it like that. Mm. Okay. I think uh, the question she needs to ask herself is, is she doing everything in her power to convince him? Is she helping him? Is she support? Is she getting help for him? Mm. Is she getting so even outside assistance in order to see how he can get rid of this thing? Of course, because it is one of the major things. I mean, one cannot live a life of intoxication and stuff like that. I mean, this is one of the major sins, uh, you know, which is uh, prohibited in Islam. Uh, and so uh, I, I'm, I'm very proud that this woman is not prepared to give up on a marriage. 
but I, I want to say it's, it should not be just because he's a good provider. Yes, that is a good quality, but I mean it should also be you don't want to give up because you want him to change. Hmm. You want him to do the right thing, and you must continue to try and help him uh, to to do the right thing. Okay, and of course, uh, uh, if you do this, then then at least you've you've played your part. Okay, because Allah Taala will not hold you responsible for something that you didn't do or that was out of your hands. Okay, Allah says in the Quran, "Wala wizra A person will never carry the burden of someone else. Like I said, the only problem for me here would be the moment uh, you become comfortable with the situation or you accept it as such. Okay, that is a problem because mm-hmm. you cannot accept something that is wrong like that. Okay, you need to continue to show your dissatisfaction and continue in earnest and in all sincerity in trying to get rid of this habit that that uh, that the person has. And like I said, it may be a genuine problem because it may be that this person all his life before getting married and before becoming Muslim, mm-hmm. he, it was a habit that he always indulged in. Okay, and hence we find even in the time of the Sahaba, radiallahu anhum, this is amazing. I mean, they were the best of people. But we find even in their time, there were some people that it was difficult for them to completely leave off the habit of drinking, mm. right? So much so that people were found guilty of this act in the time of the Prophet Sallallahu and even directly after that, you know. In fact, the one, uh, I just want to mention this because it's beautiful, where the Prophet Sallallahu uh, was brought a man, you know, that was drinking and the Prophet advised him and said, look, the, you know, there must be some kind of discretionary punishment given to you and the punishment was given to him and he was caught a second time and a third time so much so that the rest of the companions when they saw him coming so many times they began to swear at this person you know they began to curse him almost like you know don't you learn I mean every time you do the same mistake and you come back Hmm. I mean don't you learn from the past and when they started cursing this person the Prophet was very unhappy with him Prophet said to them don't curse him you know he doesn't deserve for you to curse him because it's maybe it's a difficulty that he's in, mm. right? And the Prophet ﷺ actually mentioned to them, whilst you are cursing him, just remember, he is somebody, Yuhibullah wa Rasulah. He is still somebody that loves Allah and his Rasul. Still has that love in his heart, you know? So you can't strip him from that. So this person, we want to encourage uh, this husband that is in this predicament, that obviously you must also try your utmost best to get rid of this habit. You must ask Allah Ta'ala to help you and your wife, she must also, you know, try her best and make dua that Allah Ta'ala rid you from this habit because it is something which you, you know, which has consequences, which can have negative effects if there's children in the environment. We know, we know how things go. If somebody is not by his full mind, he says things that he does not mean and it, it, things become ugly and so on. And that's why Allah Ta'ala, when he speaks about drinking in the Qur'an, Allah Ta'ala actually refers to it as being the handiwork of shaitan. And it's a way in which shaitan uses this mechanism of drinking or intoxication to cause enmity amongst you. This is what Allah says. And this is ultimately what happens. A person who's drunk is going to cause enmity between him and other people. And I'm sure this is what has been happening in this home. There's no way that the home will be a normal home, you know, if this particular issue is uh, prevalent. So that is why both, I think, the husband and wife, uh, I'm proud to see that you're not prepared to give up, but you must in all sincerity do whatever you can. Get help if you need, get uh, assistance from outside, get you know whatever, whatever means you have at your disposal to try and get rid of this particular uh, addiction of, of the husband here. Uh, shukran, Sheikh. The next question. Hi, my brother is very rude to me. I'm the elder sister. He insults me in front of everyone. Shukran. 
Yeah, this is also, I think, a common family problem. I think all families go through this kind of thing. And whilst families, family members are the closest to us, and Allah Ta'ala has blessed us, you know, to have family members, I think at the same time, Allah has also tested us with many of our family members. I think this is a fact. I mean, there is no family in which everything is just running smoothly all the time. Okay, there's always issues that come up in each and every family. Okay, I think it's only on the movies, you know, on the TV, when you see people living in this harmonious way, nothing ever goes wrong. Of course, that is not the real life. So we are tested with our family members from time to time. And uh, in fact, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, there's a verse in Surah Furqan, which is chapter 20, verse 25, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَجَعَلْنَا بَعْضَكُمْ لِبَعْضٍ فِتْنَةٍ and in this ayah, there is somewhat a solution or some, some advice for this person as well. Because this ayah says, we have made some of you to be a great test for others. <laughs> this is what Allah is saying. Some of you, had, we have created you as such that some of you will become a great test for others. Hmm. You will be tested with people's character. You will be tested with their ways and means that is different to yours. Okay, but the advice that Allah gives you is Allah says, "Atasbirun." Are you prepared to have patience? Right. So it's something that you need to work through. It's something that you need to deal with, because people are going to provoke you. People are going to have bad things to say to you. People are going to challenge you. This is life. This is human character. Okay. The point is, patience is the first key to everything. Kindness, you know, showing kindness. Never. I mean, advice that I can give is never show that you can also. Do the same as the next person. Don't retaliate. That won't solve anything. Okay? And many times, you know, we get into this because we become angry if somebody insults us. Mm -hmm. So now in your mind, now I will show you. You know, I will show you what I can do, what I am capable of. And I think that is exactly where we lose sight of or we lose focus of what is important. Because we are actually allowing shaitan to steer our thinking and to direct us in a particular way. And, and that's why the Prophet ﷺ, I mean, if you become angry, it's actually shaitan that is provoking you more than anyone else. Because he wants you to retaliate. He wants you to say something. So I will say the first thing is patience. The second thing is show kindness. Even how difficult it is, how hard it is, show kindness to him. He is your brother. And hopefully the more kindness you show, the more it, you will be, be feeling guilty. Later on you will feel, but this is not the way I must speak to my elder sister. Hopefully he will come, come by, you know. And then also, if you can speak to him always in private, if you want to give him some advice or you want to tell him it's not right what he's doing, don't do it in front of others. Although he may be doing that. He may be insulting you in front of others. You do it in private. You show him that you are better. Okay? And then lastly, what I can say to the sister, and I know it can be very trying, it can be a very difficult situation when somebody insults you and belittles you, all that I want to say to the sister is just think of our beloved Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and all the things that he had to go through. Think of this, right? There is no person that was tested more than our beloved Rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam, right? People insulted him in all different ways. People physically abused him, verbally abused him, right? People did all sorts of things. There is no difficulty to be found on the face of this earth, except that our Prophet went through it and had to deal with it. Okay, But what we find amazing about the character of Nabi Muhammad sallam, is no matter what people did to him, he always showed them that I will pray for you. I will make dua for your well-being. You know, and here the incident of Taif. 
just before the Mi'raj, you know, the Prophet went to Ta'if thinking that maybe they will respond to his call. The people of Makkah rejected him. So he went all the way to Ta'if. And little did he know that the people of Ta'if was going to treat, ill-treat him even worse and more than what the people of Makkah did. And this is what he experienced. Mm. But yet, after all of this, when Allah sent an angel to come down and, sit, and to say to him, Oh Muhammad do you want me just to you know, put this mountain on top of him and destroy them? The Prophet says, no, I don't want that. The Prophet was prepared to even pray for them. You know, Allah guide my people. He, he made dua for them. And I think if you are in the situation where you are being insulted or ill-treated or whatever the case may be, just remember, this is actually one of the things which all the Anbiya went through. It's part of human life. And inshallah, the more patience you show, the more kindness you show, the more goodness you show towards others, the easier you will be able to deal and accept what is happening and the easier and the quicker the person the other person who is provoking you will be able to realize that they cannot carry on like that continuously and hopefully that goodness will rub off on them as well um a sheikh something that came up for me was uh, the saying that's uh, that goes uh, kill them with kindness so you just keep keep being nice keep being nice until they finally give in they, absolutely uh, i think i know it's it's very difficult i very mean difficult. <laughs> people you know when you tell them that they they will say yeah but you're not in the situation you yes. don't know what it is yes. well the fact is we're not in that particular situation but we're all in different situations and you are going to be challenged in all different ways so if you are going to now be very angry at every little thing that happens to you then you, you you're losing the plot you know mm. you're missing the point and that's why the Prophet ﷺ, there was a person that came to him and this man said to him, Ya Rasulullah, Allah, give me some advice. What advice can you give me? One, two words, the Prophet said to him. Two words only. Prophet said, La taghdab. It's two words. Okay. Don't get angry. So this person said, because he, he couldn't understand, this is so a simple advice. I mean, it's, it's not real advice. The hadith says, Faraddada miraran. He asked the Prophet over and over, give me advice. Give me. In other words, he wasn't happy with the answer. And the Prophet kept telling him, La Don't become angry. In one of the rewards of this hadith, he says, When I went back and I actually thought about it carefully, mm. contemplated on this advice, I actually then realized the value of this advice. Mm. Because it is actually that moment of anger that Excellent. develops in so many other bad mm. things afterwards. Excellent. Just that moment when you lose it, mm. and you just say something that you did not want to say, and you spoil relationships, and you cause enmity, and you cause violence, and you cause problems, just because of that moment when you lost your your cool. cool. Okay, so yeah, I know it is difficult when you're insulted in front of people. Hmm. Again, my encouragement to you is, you are like the Prophet ﷺ. He was also insulted like that hmm. in public. People abused him in all different ways. But look at his reaction. His reaction was he made dua for those people. So try to be strong. Try to show that you are better. Try to show that you will not stoop down mm. to the level of someone else who's trying to belittle you, mm. but rather you will try to share the kindness and the compassion mm. that is needed, much needed in any family or in any community. I, I think, Sheikh, also what comes out for me is the essence of dua. And if it is that you struggle and you cannot be strong and you find it hard to be strong, to be strong, um, ask Allah to make you strong. Most definitely. Yes. Because Allah listens and Allah knows about the situation in any case. You know, He can see what is happening. He mm. hears what is happening. And Allah Ta'ala is not unfair. You know, Allah is Al-Adl. One of His names is, is, is just, you know. And he will, he, he will not let your efforts go unnoticed. You know? mm. He will not let your du'as go unnoticed. He will not let your difficulties go unnoticed. 
So it's quite right, you know, appeal to him, make dua, you know, mm. in the middle of the night, stand up and say, oh Allah, I've got this brother, he keeps on abusing me, mm. and I don't want to be like him, but I want him to be like me, I want him to be better, better. you know, I want him not to, to, to come out of that rude behavior, and just to be a normal person. And make a sincere du'a and we never, uh, we, we can never underestimate the power oh. that that du'a has, especially if, it, if it is made sincerely uh, from one sibling to the next. It definitely has its place in the sight of Allah. Inshallah, may the Almighty um, guide this family. I mean, I mean, inshallah. I'm a single parent with a daughter and have one sister and two brothers. My father is still alive regarding my will. When my father dies, who can inherit inherit from me for myself? Yeah. Okay. So it's a question of uh, inheritance here. The point uh, that I first want to make is, if your father is still alive, then obviously you will have to uh, look at the will while your father is alive, and you will have to look at the will when your father passes on before you. Okay. And uh, anything can happen. I mean, it doesn't mean that you definitely your father is going to die before you. Right, so in this case, uh, your, your your will will be as such. If your father is still alive, okay, then the will is very simple. In this case, your daughter, your only daughter, will get fifty percent of your estate, and the other fifty percent will go to your father. Okay, if your father is still alive, you will take the remaining fifty percent, and the brothers and sisters will be screened, or they will completely be uh, uh, taken out of the equation, mm. simply because the father is still alive. Okay, and the, your father is much closer to you than what your siblings are. Mm. Right, that's the first scenario. The second scenario is the one that she, that she is suggesting here. What if my father dies? So it's only me, and my I leave behind a daughter, and I leave behind brothers and sisters. Okay, two brothers and one sister. In this case, obviously, again, the daughter always, if, if it's one, one daughter like that, the daughter will get 50%. Okay, so automatically 50% of the estate will go to the daughter. The remaining 50% will obviously be uh, shared between the two brothers and the one sister hmm. in such a way where the brothers get a double share to what the sister will get. Hmm. Okay, and in this case, it's fairly easy to work out 50% between three people where uh, the males get a double share and the, f the one female gets a single share because it will simply be a 20% for each boy, for each brother, and 10% for the sister. So it's 20, 20, and 10. Okay, so in this case, obviously, the equation is very, very easy. If it's just the daughters and, and the brothers and sisters, the daughter will get 50%, each brother will get 20%, and the sister will get 10% of the estate. Okay, shukran, Sheikh. With that, let's pay the bills and we come back with more of your questions on our SMS line 47913. Back in a moment with question and answer forum. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, the voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Question and answer forum, that's the name of the show. And inshallah, stay with us uh, right, up, right up until uh, 6 o'clock where we will take your questions, uh, rather 7, um, every Saturday between 6 and 7, inshallah, where we have question and answer forum with myself and Sheikh Ibrahim Mwes answering your question questions quite diligently alhamdulillah so our next question sheikh islam spoke many times to an auntie who always uses foul swearing words don't want to be in her company anymore please give advice salam uh, of course uh, your duty would be first to obviously advise her 
which clearly you have done because you say you spoke to her many times. And of course, that is as far as it goes. I mean, you, you, your duty is basically to, to, to tell her that, you know, this is not the way to speak uh, and it's not uh, it's not conducive for somebody to speak in this way in the company of others, etc. So if you've done that, then Alhamdulillah, you've done your bit, right? And if she continues then to carry on like this, then of course you are not forced to be in her company all the time. Because very often if you are in the company of these people, it can be really irritating and it can really upset a person. Okay, so if it is your own aunt who is now a family member, then of course it means you need to show your respect as uh, her being your aunt. So you'll greet her and she's, she's older than you, you'll greet her and stuff like that. But nothing says that you have to sit with her for hours. You know, uh, you can make a choice not to sit with her for hours if this is actually the uh, attitude that she has. Uh, but I, I would say that the best is for you still to engage with her and not to disengage. Uh, and still always try to subtly, albeit very subtly, make uh, some kind of da'wah to her, you know, speak to her in a kind way. And never try to give instructions to her or to tell her directly what to do and not what to do, you know. Especially if it is uh, a person who is much older than you, because they don't take kindly to that. Okay, rather suggest things in a very subtle way or in a sort of uh, indirect way and stuff like that uh, whenever there is an opportunity. I mean, don't also especially go to a house in order to scold at her while she's speaking foul. If there's an opportunity which you feel is maybe suitable for you just to mention something uh, by the way and so on, then you do that because obviously uh, if it's a person that's doing this all the time, it means that they sometimes, you know, people speak in this way, they don't even know they're doing wrong because mm. it's so it's much part of them, you know, mm. to swear and to speak ugly and to shout and uh, it's it's very difficult i remember one day i was sitting with some people and uh, the wife was saying you know that one of the complaints is the husband keeps on shouting you know shouting to her and doesn't know how to speak you know doesn't know how to speak and to my amazement the husband was actually shouting in that gathering to me you know not knowing that he's shouting and then he was saying I'm, I don't shout yes, to her I don't yes, you know I don't this way. <laughs> but he just speak like that mm. without him realizing the way that he's raising his voice you know mm. so many times this happens this person may be so much into this bad habit of swearing and whatever and uh, you need to uh, you know um, I mean, if you don't want to sit with her all the time, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Nothing compels you to be in a company all the time because obviously it's going to irritate you and upset you. But if you have an opportunity to speak to her in an indirect way and still to give da'wah to her, you know, to speak to her kindly, then do that because that would probably be uh, uh, some uh, reason for her to think, maybe rethink. Mm-hmm. Although it may have happened many times before, like you state, but don't give up. Try still to speak to her in any case if there is an opportunity for that. Shukran, Sheikh. Assalamualaikum. My husband smokes weed. Please advise, Sheikh. What do, advise, Sheikh? What do I do about it? He tries to hide it from me, but I know he smokes every day. Shukran. Yeah, I I would think that uh, the best approach here would be. I mean, for the question I would first ask here is the fact that you know he smokes weed and he, uh, he smokes whatever he does and he, he hides it from you. Does he know that you know? I mean, did you speak to him about it? Or is it just something that you suspect and you are upset about it, right? And you can't prove it, maybe. Mm. I mean, those are two different situations, right? And I would say that the best for you is just to follow the, what we call, just the open book uh, approach, you know. Why not speak to him openly, 
you know, and ask him and tell him, you know, in a nice way, look, I suspect or I know that you smoke, I can smell or there's some signs or whatever, but I want to know why you are doing this. Why do you continue to do it? Are you an addict? Are you, uh, is there some difficulty at work? What is it that drives you towards doing this mm. thing? Is it just something that you cannot get rid of? Or what is it, you know, because then maybe we can get help, whatever. And I think what should come very strongly from your side is that you, 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 you're talking to him in this way because you care for him. I mean, you don't, you're not talking to him in this way because you hate him, right? You care for him and you know he's got this problem uh, which you want to help him with. So he must know that from your side you're not there to sort of talk down to him or to look at him uh, with contempt, but rather you are there to, to, to show your support if he has a problem. And I think if uh, you speak to him openly like this, maybe he will open up to you, you know, and say, well, I've been taking it for a while and I can't get off it or I'm taking it just because I'm under stress or I'm taking it just because, you know, uh, things are not going well at work or whatever the case may be. He may open up and say, well, and from there you can obviously then judge what will be the best way forward. Mm -hmm. Okay. In these cases, sometimes you need professional help as well. I mean, if he's an addict that has been doing it for a long time, you need professional help to come in. You know, to actually uh, give you guidance, what is the best way to actually go about, okay? So for me, uh, I, I would say the first thing is, uh, and of, of course I can't ascertain this from the question, hmm. but if it is that he does not know that you know, and you're just suspecting him, hmm. then I think the best is to sit down with him and tell him, you know, so because there's nothing, there's no use, you, you, you have these feelings within you and you're suspecting him or... Um, you know, you know he's doing wrong, but you don't want to tell him also. Mm. But you're telling others about it or telling others you're suspecting him. That is not going to help. You need to sit with him and you need to have a good conversation with him. Tell him that you care. Tell him that you're prepared to help him, to support him and to get whatever other assistance is needed in order to to uh, help him with this particular problem because unfortunately the the, the issue of the uh, you know drug taking and uh, drug abuse is something which the repercussions of it is is just too great you know the the way it rips uh, family apart uh, the way it destroys relationships destroys the uh, sanctity of marriage uh, respect goes out the window there's so many things you know that is attached to this issue of drug abuse and the sooner we deal with it, the better. Okay, I, I would advise the sister not to wait and not to mm. let things lie down. Rather, uh, you know, approach it head on and speak to him openly. And yes, even if it means you must be very stern with him and say, look, if 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 you're not going to stop with this, then we, then I will have to move out mm. or I will have to take drastic measures because I can't mm. live with somebody that is taking these yes, abusive yeah. substances. Especially if there's kids also around. Mm. I mean, we we never know what the situation, but if there's kids around, it makes it just so much worse yes, yeah. because now they are also exposed to this kind of thing or they become used to growing mm. up knowing that okay substance okay. abuse and they may think it's okay they may grow up with the idea thinking it's okay there's nothing wrong and then there's this vicious cycle where the mother is ignoring it so they think it's okay to ignore it yeah yeah, yeah. so so it's it's it, it just comes back mm. and uh, later on in years we find it's natural for them then also to fall into that same yeah. effect inshallah we make dua that must never happen okay, we make dua that the family must be protected against that but uh, for me, I think the open book approach will be the best to sit down with him and uh, 
lay down to him very clearly your unhappiness about it mm. but speak to him in a supportive way in a caring way showing that you 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 are prepared to help you know if help is needed mm. and hopefully he will he will sort of realize your consideration that you have for him and uh, open up and uh, think of a way forward uh, for this problem and i think Sheikh, often you know these sort of situations are so sensitive that you don't exactly know how to approach it and you yourself might just you know go at it in a very wrong way you yeah. know the best thing is if you feel comfortable you know get a mediator or so an outside person that you think this person yeah. respects and not feel maybe intimidated would yeah. also be a good idea if it, you yourself yeah. can't approach it i i, I would uh, uh, for this particular issue, you know, the issue of drug abuse, yes. I, I would say the first, the first sort of uh, sitting or the first conversation, I would actually prefer not a mediator not because, mediator, like you yeah. said, it's something sensitive. Mm. So maybe the person don't want other people to know also. No, okay. So for you to bring a third party may even provoke him more, you know, or may oh. even make him feel now everyone knows, you know, now the whole world. Or maybe knows. just to get advice from somebody. Advice, yes, yeah. maybe or from a third party, yes, how. that is fine. Yeah. But I mean, sitting down with him Bringing and having, someone else in yeah, now. I think that yeah. may be intimidating for. Okay. him as well okay. okay whereas if you are married to him uh, for a long time he knows you you know him mm. you can sort of speak to each other you can maybe confide in each other to some mm. extent then most probably that first sitting would be best okay. if it is done privately you know uh, just for him to to open up hopefully to mm. open up and to own up if there is any owning up to mm. do and then uh, work uh, carefully through this, you know, and see if there's any solution. Gotcha. But in any other part of the progression of this thing, yes, to get outside people to help is very important. Sometimes I think we also don't realize that uh, there are different methods that, uh, that help can be given, you know. Mm. It's not that you have to face this thing all by yourself. Mm. There are support systems out there, you know, there's social support systems, there's family, there's friends, there's uh, mediators, there's imams, there's people that do this kind of thing that actually go and speak to the people involved, you know. Mm. So I think that is a, a very valid point that you, that you are making, that uh, the person must never feel that they're alone, you know, they have mm. to deal with this all alone. Mm. But there will be some support if, if support is needed. Yeah. Shukran, Sheikh. And with that, let's take a short break. And after that, we'll come with our last segment in our question and answer forum, inshallah. The Voice of the Cape. 91.3 FM Stereo. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back. I'm Khawa Salman and we're in our last segment of question and answer forum where we're taking your SMSs on 47913. Please do keep them coming. Unfortunately, if we, we're not, if we do not have time to deal with them as uh, they come in today, please note they are in, in our backlog of questions, but they will be dealt with as they come in. With me, of course, is Sheikh Ibrahim Wes, the resident imam out in Weinberg at the Yusufiyah Masjid. Uh, let's deal with the next questions. Hi, Salam. Can you marry like the husband is Muslim, uh, the child and mother is Christian? My sister is not married. She is Muslim and sleeping next to a drunk Christian man. Hmm. So, yeah, there's two questions here. The first one seems to be a Muslim man getting married to a Christian woman. And the child is also Christian. She's got a child. And so can he get married to a Christian woman? Now, initially, the, the issue of marrying people of the book, Ahlul Kitab, you know, marrying a Jewish or a Christian woman and a Muslim man, this is allowed uh, initially, is, uh, is, is allowed in Islam. And there is uh, verses in the Quran that actually speaks about this. Uh, however, there is a context to this. It's very important to always look at the context. Um, uh, it is allowed in a case whereby we can always uh, assure or ensure that the rights of the children will be protected as Muslims. Hmm. So if a Muslim man gets married to a Christian woman and 
children should come from that union, then the child will automatically be Muslim. The child will never be Christian. And the child's rights as a Muslim will be protected, you know, under no normal circumstances. However, if that is not the case, if we cannot secure those rights, right, then of course here the ulama advise that uh, a, a Muslim man should not get, it, get married to a Christian woman like that because he won't be able to ensure what the status of the child will be in, at a later stage. Okay, and this question I've posed to some scholars overseas and stuff, and it seems that this is a, a, a sort of answer that I always get, that it is allowed, but under these circumstances. Hmm. The circumstance is that the rights of the child must always be protected, you know, and if that cannot happen, and I think almost this is the official position that is taken by some of our local uh, theological bodies, you know, like the MJC and stuff, where they discourage, you know, marrying a non-Muslim woman, simply because, not because it's not allowed, but because of the consequences of the child's rights not being protected and stuff like that. Uh, interestingly, even Sayyidina Umar, and this shows that this is part of what we call siyasa sharia. You know, siyasa sharia means where uh, politically you can sort of look at the sharia and you can uh, sort of uh, modify some of the precepts of the sharia in terms of what the political situation or the social situation dictates. Mm -hmm. And or, where I get this from is that even Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab, the second khalifa, in his own time, he also suspended this issue. Hmm. You know, although it is initially allowed for a man to marry a non-Muslim woman, but it must be very carefully said, it must be a non-Muslim woman of the book, hmm. meaning Christian or Jew, specifically, no one else, Christian or Jew specifically. So he uh, also uh, sort of suspended this ruling in his time, not because it wasn't allowed, it is allowed, but his sort of insight in the situation dictated him to do that because he saw how Muslim women were being neglected. Okay, because if everybody's marrying non-Muslim women, where, where's our sisters going to get husbands? Mm. You know? Where must they get spouses? So he saw this happening and he actually suspended this particular law, which means that the hakim or the governor or the Islamic courts or whatever, they can sort of regulate this kind of thing as well, mm. if it uh, need be for it, looking at the particular situation. As for the second question, obviously that doesn't need an answer really, because for a Muslim woman to be sleeping next to a Christian man is obviously not allowed and a Muslim woman can never get married to a Christian man. Okay, there's no precept for that. There's no precedent for that in Islam where a Muslim woman can get married to a Christian or a Jewish man or any other faith for that matter. A Muslim woman must get married to a Muslim man and there is no uh, exceptions to this. So for her doing this, obviously she's doing wrong and she mm. must be advised and she must be given um, you know, uh, proper direction in this that obviously, uh, you know, she she's not really gaining at all the pleasure of Allah by doing this, by sleeping next to a Christian man and not being married to him even. I mean, already it's not allowed for a Muslim man to marry, uh, sorry, a Muslim woman to marry a Christian man. So what's still about not being married and just living with him, you know, in haram or stuff like that? It's obviously worse. So we can only encourage and make dua that Allah guides us all, you know, and yeah. keeps us on the straight path. Uh, that is what we can do, inshallah. Unfortunately, that is the reality of today. And hopefully, inshallah, all the messages that was conveyed today by Sheikh Ibrahim Amwas, inshallah, will be answered, at least answers all the questions um, that has come through. Please note, we will answer your question in the next show. If you have sent uh, your questions through, please just be patient with us. Sheikh, all the best and jazakallah khair to you once again. Barakallah, shukran to you as well and to all our listeners. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum wassalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to Sheikh Ibrahim Wilson from myself, Khawa Salaman. Have a good day and be safe wherever you are. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and a very good evening to you.